Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. It's been hard to do anything normal in the last few days, uh, and it's also important to do things normal on some level. Um, there's, there's resistance that takes place on, on battlefronts and with weapons, and there's resistance that takes place when Jews around the world say, uh, nothing will stop me and from living and celebrating and reveling in my Jewish life. That's how we try to handle that mixture on Simchat Torah. For us, it's really on the nose because of where we happen to be in the story. Right, what pull out for a little bit. We, 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 we drop so deeply into each syllable. If you pull out, we're talking about an oppressed Jewish people and pounding the oppressor with wave after wave after wave of plague to try to get the oppressor to change their mind without a whole lot of success. And eventually we know where this is story is going, that the implacability of the enemy ultimately leads to the death of their own children. So it's, it's right there, folks. Um, and I, I suppose it would be also poignant if we were in a you know, random verse in Leviticus, but it's, it's hard and impossible and important to dive back into text um, and find the um, Find the redemptive, the redemptive aspects of studying together and of being a learning community together. I'm just going to let someone in who's trying to come in on Zoom. Um, I forgot, by the way, to do the standard welcome. Welcome to those who are here in Whiteman Conference Room and to those who are joining via Zoom and to anyone who's watching on Facebook Live and anyone who is listening to this after the fact on the Temple Beth Ham podcast. And if you're just joining us, we've been talking about how complicated and important it is to study the tradition, even and especially in times of distress, to reclaim what is precious to us, <clears throat> and how complicated it is to be studying this particular text as we send another wave of plagues to, to our enemy as a way of trying to protect and redeem ourselves. So not much has changed in 3,200 years. And I think if we're honest with ourselves and we listen to the words of Kohelet, while giving up, while having Yehush might be sinful on some level, not much may change. Something, something will change in the next few days that, you know, that there, there, there will be different circumstances. But I fear that our ancestors and our descendants will, be, will have and will be telling the same story on some level. That's very heavy. And throughout, Jews will continue to gather and study Torah. So I, I'm sure it's sort of needed on some level. Um, but I also know that if we, if we start going this direction of people uh, have been you know, sharing what's present for them, that will take up the entire class, which again, probably would will, will be needed and cathartic, but I also want to be able to 
really claim this as a moment of Torah. So maybe we'll um, spend a few minutes if people want to share what is what is present for them in their hearts. Uh, and in particular, if you would direct your thoughts on the nexus between what you've been experiencing as a Jew and as a Ohev Yisrael and as a Zionist for the last few days, the nexus between that and sitting to study Torah, meaning if there's something that's coming to you about what this moment feels like, let's spend some time uh, hearing that, and then we'll go back into into lice um, and find uh, find the illumination there. Renee, of hearing, can you just talk a little bit louder? I know you've been doing the davening and stuff quieter, but yes, is that better? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Did do the people on Zoom actually hear what I just said about what? Okay. I, I heard you. It was just hard to hear. Understood. Um, no one needs to, but does anybody want to share about something about what this juxtaposition, this nexus feels like? Elon, take a, and take a microphone and go right into it. Yeah, so this began actually on, for me, on Sunday night when I was leading Mariv, and it said, uh, saying the prayer, Protector of the people of Israel forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then continued when I was saying Kaddish, um, and even continued into this morning when we're studying Torah, which to a large degree uh, has to do with the greatness of God and the and the deeds that God performed to rescue uh, the Israelites from Egypt. And when you juxtapose that to the absence of God, I would say, and just the sheer brutality that occurred, it's really, it's a struggle to be able to try to acknowledge God's greatness at times like this. Yes. Thank you, Elon. I also found the liturgy over the weekend to be, if you'll excuse the analogy, every, every sentence an explosion Anna Adonai Hoshiana, please God save us. Those who are dead will no longer praise you. Even the cheery song, Oda Vinu Chai, I kept thinking about how many Israelis will now no longer be able to say that my father's still alive. So our, our songs and our liturgy emerge from our national experience, and our national experience has has uh, been asking God for salvation for many millennia and sometimes with no direct response. It's hard. Barbara. Well, I I just kind of wonder whether or not, since we're all one big family, um, whether or not we shouldn't be saying Kaddish for our dead as a family, the whole synagogue for some period of time, whether it's 30 days or whatever, that maybe we should do it as a family and say Kaddish for every, but for the Jews that have died. Yeah, we, we've had lots of conversations amongst the clergy about what are, what are the right liturgical adjustments to make for this time. And there's, there's no one right or wrong answer and every community is doing it differently. We've, we've chosen rather than, than, having everyone say Kaddish at all time, um, 
to make some other changes to make it very clear that this this is not normal, uh, not a normal time. But I, I hear I hear what you're what you're going for, and we'll consider it that uh, again. And certainly anyone who who feels personally moved to do so can and should and should do that. Anyone else? What is hovering for you right now before we jump into the book of Shemot again? Stevie? I feel like I finally understand chapter eight of Esther. That it's like the king gave permission to fight back and even to, if necessary, go a bit further than fighting back. And it's obviously not a historical book, but I can understand why someone wanted to write that story that way. Thanks, Stevie. Joanna? As a teacher who spends most of my waking hours now with fourth grade students, there's a very fine thread and like sort of this guard I have to put up that I can't be me in front of my students, that I have a duty on some level to a protect them a little bit that, I mean, and the school has given us a lot of guidance around that um, and also given us outlets for us teachers to find spaces away from our students, but also to help my students process also on a level that's appropriate for them. And I'm spending a lot of my days now anticipating the return of a student of a family I've been in touch with who for beautiful reasons extended their Sukkot travel to Israel beyond Sukkot are now in Israel without, as of today, a flight home. And, you know, messages from the family. I don't know if we'll send our, when we get back, we'll send the kid to school because she's very traumatized right now. You know, and writing back, like the academics, like we don't care about. School might be a great place for her to be just to be among friends. But how we're going to modulate that when she comes back? What is she going to say to her classmates? And all of those thoughts running in my head, also like the amount of time I'm spending thinking about that and realizing also that is like the minutest fragment of like the tragedy that has befallen our people. Yes. I don't know why this strikes me right now, but it strikes me that Joanna, that you're so much an integral part of this class and this experience. And we've never met you in person. You're so much a part of this, uh, this community. And we look forward to when we get to actually be with you in person and dive with you. Thank you for that, Joanna. Renee. Okay. Here we go. Um, I just feel just consumed. I, I, I feel like the, the, the hardest thing for me is that no matter how much we take on in our family, and no matter how much we are with our family, because we're constantly on the phone, I feel like it's in our blood um, that there's this sense of frustration that no matter what we do or how much we do, it's it's not enough. And I just have this constant sense of what else can we do? What else can we do? And when, I, you know, as much as we talk to people and they say, you know, we don't need food, we don't need this, you know, we appreciate all that people in in by you in the States are doing for us, but there's a lot of stuff that we really don't need. Um, and I think a lot of what we're doing is just more for a sense for us to feel like we're doing something. It's a little bit of both, right? We, yeah. there, is, there is some of our doing things in order to do something. And there are some unbelievable 
projects going on, just the ones that I know of, and that I know of coincidentally are are, are inspiring on the level they're going to be the stories that are told 50 years from now the way we tell stories about you know uh, you know um, what's his name Mickey uh, Marcus. Mickey Marcus right the, the the Americans who who found <laughs> found a way to literally help bring independence to Israel uh, they're incredible efforts that are that are actually directly helping. Uh, and, and even that line that Lev said, I mean, I just started bawling when I heard that because it's just, it's not right. It's not right that somebody that's his age should even question something like that. What she's referring to is I posted on Facebook yesterday as I was leaving for Minion yesterday. Lev said to me, with just, just kind of a normal tone voice, Ava, do you know how there's a day in the year that we remember the Shoah? I said, yes. Yeah. I said, is there going to be a day in the year that we remember this? That's what we asked. Judy, and then Marshall, and then we'll study Torah. Rabbi, Rabbi Judy. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Rabbi. The microphone in by Stevie. Yes. Rabbi, thank you. Um, I'm, I was so overwhelmed on, on Shabbat and on Sunday, I think completely in shock and as my body's been processing this, it's like it's it's so visceral inside me. I, you know, Rabbi, how many times I've been wanting to reach out and send you an email, and and it's like I I can't. And like Renee, I've been on the phone constantly. We have three groups of family, and to hear that. The news and the horrors, I, I feel so completely powerless. But when I speak to my cousins, I'm hearing their strength. We've got a number of young cousins on the front and um, others who are working day and night. Uh, one is a lieutenant colonel. Um, in the reserve, as some of my relatives, they sound so strong. You know, they tell me how quiet the streets are. I've got one dear cousin in the north, and I know they're going to be evacuated soon. And his son is on the front, and he says, he's there, and all we need are your tefillots. That's all, your tefillot. And my parents are both survivors, and I'm thinking there wasn't enough help from us. Then there wasn't enough help. And like, Renee, what can, what can we do? I know my sisters at Sinai, that they're putting funds together to get an ambulance over there. They've lost a couple of ambulances. <clears throat> we're gathering clothes and supplies. Um, I I so want to be with you all face to face. And that's for me, you know, it's for me. What can I do as a rabbi, as a chaplain? I'm, I feel powerless. I, I want to be of support somewhere. I need your guidance, Rabbi. I don't know where. I... I really, I want to do something. 
And that's, that's what's going through me. Thank you for this space, Rabbi. So Thank you, Judy. Marshall and then Barry. I was especially moved this morning during the davening when we sang Hatikva at the end. Odlo avda tikva tenu, we've not lost our hope. And as Stevie made reference to the biblical sources in Esther, I think of the biblical source in Ezekiel, avda tikva tenu, we've lost our hope, yavsha atzmotenu, our bones have been dried out. And how I think we have to keep on saying odlo avda tikva tenu, we've not lost our hope. Yes. Barry. I'm uh, very troubled by what I'm going to say. Um, we, we know that we're God's partners in miracles. God doesn't make miracles without our partnership. We, we let our guard down in many, too many ways. We got soft and comfortable and let our guard down. Now our muscles are, are pushing, but we let our guard down. And we, we lost the miracle. And, and we're in great suffering. It's a very difficult thing for me to bear right now. That um, we, We'll learn from this to keep the muscle strong and, and never let it down and not to assume that things are okay. Never to assume that again, ever. Larry. With respect to what everyone said and all the sentiments, I want to just offer a different perspective. I think we ought to look to the Haftarah for last week. When Joshua was told four times, Chazak ve'amatz, be strong and persevere. I understand everyone's sentiments, but there is another side. <clears throat> I think we need to show it, and I think we need to operate on it. So do what you can. There's plenty of places to give money, plenty of places to, to take action. Call your friends and relatives in Israel to support them. Um, cry when you have to, but chazak ve'amatz as well. Thank you, Larry. Rosemary? <clears throat> Just for finishing, I think we are between the letter N and S. Hamas and Haman are very close together. Yeah. And I think we are in between the two letters. We will prevail. Yeah. Oh, I think God is always there. When I buried my daughter and children, at that moment, God was more present than any time else. And I just feel not lucky because I could bury them. I could have Rabbi there. I could have prayers. And now, what are they doing? Rebecca. Um, <clears throat> this Shabbat, there's going to be a solar eclipse that we can view at maximum 924 in the morning here. And I can't help but think you know, as, as natural wonders continue in this, uh, in this world, in this situation, um, you know, there's going to be something special. Uh, 
in that eclipse and as, as the sky darkens, especially um, this Shabbat. Thanks, everyone. Um, I know there's a lot more that isn't said. Um, next Shabbat is Parshat Noah. We're going to be reading words that will have a um, homographic uh, um, poignancy when we're going to read that the earth be was destroyed in front of God and the land was riddled with Hamas. Hamas in Hebrew means violence. It's a coincidence, by the way. I don't think that um, it's, a, it's an odd coincidence, but I do not believe that there's any way in which the reason why Hamas and Gaza are called Hamas has to do with the Hebrew. But that's going to be a very, very painful verse to read, um, particularly as we think of the images of the earth being, of that ground being filled and riddled with members of Hamas. And this is not going to be anywhere close to easy or normal for a long time. I've been saying, thinking a lot and saying a lot that the tragedies have half-lives. Um, right? So think back to September 12th, right, 2001. It was utter fog. The world was turned upside down. It would never be the same. And it felt pretty similar on September 14th. And it felt pretty similar on September 16th. October 2nd, my daughter was born. Um, I was thinking about her and how to change a diaper. Uh, and I was no longer 24 seven occupied with 9-11. And half-life means that however long the half-life is in chemistry, right, then that same amount of time again, it gets smaller. That's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing because we can't cope with the intensity forever. It's a bad thing because we start to be distracted by other things. Uh, for the Israeli army and the Israeli government, hopefully there's no half-life. But for us, we're going to wake up at some point soon-ish. And it'll feel different. Uh, it'll never feel okay, but it'll feel different. And our and going through our normal lives in a mostly normal way will feel okay. In the same way that we tell people on the last day of Shiva, that you're allowed to be as sad as your emotional system needs to be, and now go live your life, as Larry was saying. The Betham connections are, are, are wide and intense. As far as I know, we do not have a member of Betham or a, or, or a first degree connection of someone who has been killed or injured or kidnapped. But if you go one level out, there's, there's bleakness everywhere. We learned yesterday that Marilyn and Siggy Ziering's great nephew, a major in the army, was uh, killed in battle. So Siggy's brother's grandson. Uh, my daughter Noah has a USY friend who was one of the captives in Gaza. Um, when she was president of this USY region, he was the president of the New York region. And then uh, there was Omer Nutra, N-N-E-U-T-R-A, and he um, made Aliyah at some point, and he's confirmed in Gaza. And so many of the people in our community have children in Israel who are uh, going to be called into duty, and some of them into, into real duty, right? Um, so I don't know how long the half-life of this one's going to be, um, but it'll present itself. And in the meantime, we will continue to uh, come to pray, altered, study the tradition with something hovering over us, uh, showing love to one another and to our children, and hopefully finding every possible way
to express um, support for the state and the people of Israel. That's what I hope and pray for. Let's go into the book of Shemot again. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Uh, we were halfway through a Rashi. We're halfway through the Rashi on verse 14 of chapter 8. Let me read the verse again so we can get there. Uh, by the way, welcome Suzanne. Uh, Suzanne is joining us. She's a new member of Beth Am, and she's going to come into just about everything our community does. Great to have you. I don't know. Do you have a book? Do you have a, a book in front of you, Suzanne, that you've got? Yes, I have the Saperstein uh, edition. Perfect. Wonderful. Okay. Um, so we're chapter eight of the book of Shemot, verse 14. Let me read the verse again so we can, um, so we can uh, remind ourselves what we were talking about. It's that weird thing that, we're, that we have seen and we're going to be seeing throughout the uh, plagues where the courtiers, the magicians of Pharaoh, uh, seemingly rather than trying to remove the plague that has been put upon them, they try to show their own metal by doing it. The uh, magicians uh, did that with their, either their rods or their spells. If you remember the first time that verse came up in the blood plague, maybe even before that. That interesting phrase to, 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 to bring out, let's, let's make it um, as literal a translation as possible, to bring out the lice below Yacholo, and they were not able to. But Tehi Hakinam, and the swarm of lice, we won't go back into that word Hakinam, but it's a single feminine word referring to not the lice themselves, but a swarm of them. The, the lice were Ba'adam on, on, on mankind, Uba'adam on animals. And we had read Rashi's one-word commentary on Lahotziyam, and he says, lest you think that the Lahotziyam means that what the Khartoumim were trying to do was to remove the lice, because that was one way of understanding Lahotzi, to take out. Rashi's first word is livrotam, to create them, meaning to show that, hey, we also can bring lice on our people. We can also create uh, life, uh, lice out of nothing. We left it there. So Rashi reads this as kind of almost um, like, like jester-like magicians who in trying to flex their muscles are attempting to do something that will actually worsen the situation for their own people. Right? Once again, many, many uh, impossibly to avoid associations with what's happening right now. Um, and that's where we paused and we were halfway through Rashi and uh, we've got a little bit more Rashi to go. So yes, Barry. The last word I said when we ended last time and you said we'd take it up here. Yeah, we're about we're, Makom is as God's place. And what's this Bamakoma here? Yeah, we're about to read that. Yeah. Um Alan, do you want to read uh, that Rashi? No problem. Marshall Marshall, do you want to read? Is it fourteen? It's the, it's the after the word leave Rotam on 14, but make sure the microphone is really close to you. So, this is Leo Yachlu? Before Leo Yachlu. Yes. Pardon? 
before Loyachlu, but get but Marsha, you have to speak right into the mic, otherwise they won't hear on Zoom. Okay, so this is Too far away. Yes. Marshall, hold hold the microphone next to your face. Thank you. Sorry. We just okay. want to include everyone on Zoom. So mimakom And uh, to create them and to bring them forth from some other place. Right. So that's the question that Barry is asking about. We we had only read the word Livrotam. Some versions of Rashi also have the word Ulahotziam to create them and to bring them out. And then the phrase mimakom acher. What do people think the word mimakom acher means? It, it is true, Barry, that the word that hamakom was one of the names of God, but sometimes a cigar is a cigar. In fact, most times a cigar is a cigar. Makom just also means location, right? Uh, Norm, uh, can we get a, a microphone down here for Norm? What do you, what do you think is Rashi's adding by, or what questions he answering by saying that they were that they that they attempted to create them and to draw them out from another place? It, it, they're coming from a different place. That is to say, from the sands, they've already been, it's been done by God, Moshe, and Aaron, or God and Aaron. But now um, they have to bring forth gnats or lice, kinim, from some other material because the sand has already been converted. Uh -huh. So maybe they would be able to do it from some kind of produce or from rocks or whatever it would be. Um, and if they could bring forth from that place, they could probably get rid of them as well. And maybe they could then be able to use a similar method to get rid of the existing ones, uh -huh. but they can't bring them forth from another place or even from the same place. They're powerless. Good. And, and right. And Rashi hasn't gotten yet to the powerlessness of the Loyacholu. Um, any other possible read of what Makom Acher means, Joel? I think he's trying to say that uh, whereas God created them from scratch, they were just using a trick to try to move them. Very good, right? I, th I think most of the commentaries on Rashi think that that's what Rashi is saying, that, that they, they, they tried to do two things. They tried to create them, Livrotam, and say, listen, I don't know if we can turn grass or sand into lice, but what if we can sweep up all the lice from somewhere else bring them here and it'll seem miraculous right? just to suspend disbelief a bit right that that can we do anything to show the israelites and motion aaron and our boss that we can contend with all that's swarming around here pun intended right rick and then renee and then barry hi um my silverman edition has a footnote <clears throat> and the second sentence of that is as all the dust of the land had become gnats so the sentence before all the dust of the land had become gnats already so the footnote goes they were compelled to direct their endeavors to creating gnats from another place so maybe that helps with the other place but I don't know where that would have been if the whole land was already gnats. I, they were trying to create them, but there were already gnats there. So I, I don't, I right. just thought I'd throw that in. It's really kind of the, the norm way of reading it or the Joel way of reading it, right? To create them from another source, that Makomachir would be like another place that, that aside from the dust or to not um, bring them into being from scratch, but to import the gnats as it were. Renee? 
I was going to say similar to Joel that it was from some other place that it was the sorcerers bringing it, not from the soil, but somewhere else. Got it. Okay. Barry? Well, I'm going back to take Macomb literally as God's spiritual place, God's place. So a Macomb Acher would be a different spiritual space. This would be the evil side and that the the sorcerers are are, are playing to uh, the, the, the evil side in uh, that power. But they were unable to do it. Joanna, your hand was up and now it's down. Uh, are we good? Covered by what other people said. Okay, good. Uh, okay, Marshall, now read the Loya Cholu. Uh, Loya Cholu. <laughs> He's a rookie. Lo yacholu she'ein hashed sholet abria huta mikasa ora that for the demon um, is powerless in the case of a creature smaller than a barley corn. Okay, this is a fascinating <laughs> sentence, and it comes from a fascinating page of Talmud. That is one of the windows, and we discussed this a bit last time, that shows that the rabbis were proudly monotheistic and weren't quite sure that there weren't other forces in the world that had partial divine-like powers, right? So there's a line in the Talmud. It's quoting almost verbatim. Shade is a demon or a, a, a spook or something like that. Sholate means to have power over. Uh, I love one of the modern uses of that, of that root. The remote control is called the shalat. It's so great. I just, I would have loved to be in the room when they were discussing in 1973. How are we going to call this thing? What, what, what root? Um, shalat. Okay, Moshe, good idea. Okay, so that, um, that a, a spook or a, a demon cannot, has no control over a biria. A biria is, the, the, the olive isn't there, but it's the root, the row, something that has been created, a creation, smaller, than a um, um, uh, a barley corn. Um, what do you think? What do you think's going on here, Elon? No, I'm just curious. Is microphone. Oh, is the converse of that that a demon has control over something that is bigger than a barley corn? Right. There's something counterintuitive about the line. You you would think the opposite, right? You know, our God can control anything. The other demons, they can control specks, right? But it's saying the reverse, right? That the Shadim and their powers, they, they, they might con control large visible things, but they, have, they can't control microscopic things, but it's our, our God can, right? I, I think you're right. The implication of this is that a shade might have power over something larger than Marnicorn, but not a piece of lice. And it, it kind of asks us the question about, or makes us ask the question, well, there's a lot of ways of asking this. Like, what what did the rabbis believe about powers outside God's powers, and why did they believe that? Right, and why did they want it included in rabbinic literature for us to understand that? In addition to the um, the omnipotency of the Kaddish Baruch Hu, you know, there are also some other stuff out there that can get things done, right? Even against the will of the Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's complicated. Anyone else, Barry? Think of uh, uh, God's essence, a of essence, ayin, is no thingness, 
And uh, so uh, the sorcerers, yes, the rabbis are positing, yeah, in, in the physical world, there are ways to manipulate the physical world, mm. but, but God's essence is no thingness. There's no way to attach that. Right, so as if it would be, seem more miraculous to manipulate minuscule microscopic things than, than larger things, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, Norm? Zilberman suggests that it's related to what can be made, what can become Tame. So a place becomes Tame in the presence of the smallest bone of a corpse. Mm. And something smaller than a barley corn is smaller than the smallest bone of a corpse and would not render something Tame. Mm. And that somehow that is related. Mm. It's wonderful to like read this line about what Shadim are capable and incapable of through the nitty-gritty prism of halachic categories of Tuma and Tara. Larry. As long as we're going on about it, if you continue in, in the Talmud, yes. Rav Papa says, by God, they cannot even create an entity as large as a camel. They do not create anything. So there were... There were there were rabbis who I think did not. Of course, and Rashi, right? Rashi is selecting one line out of an interesting. Like again, sometimes it's helpful to imagine the Talmud as a bunch of rabbis sitting across the table and disagree with each other, as as we might, right? It means this. No, it means this. I believe this, and that this is not a univocal position in that piece of Talmud, but it's 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 um, loud enough that Rashi chooses to lift it and encode it here or in, in place it here. Um, as an explanation for why the Khartimu couldn't do this, and by implication, Rashi is saying, but had it been bigger you know, insects, maybe they would have been able to do so. Good. Anyone else on, on Loyacholo? All right. Uh, let's go to verse uh, 15. Um, I really, I really need like a Larry Herman system for whom I've called on to read because I always forget week to week. So, does anybody want to read? Okay, try to translate. The um, sorcerer said to Pharaoh, it, it's the finger of, of God that's, uh, that's hard and strong strengthen the heart of Pharaoh and he didn't hear them as Hashem spoke. Good. Uh, so if we, if we break that down a little bit, um, so after, in response to their own Ill, inability to do whatever they were trying to do the previous verse, they come to some humble recognition and they say to Pharaoh, Right, this is, almost sounds Mel, Mel Brooks-ish, right? There's something bigger than Phil, right? I, I think there's a God involved here. It's by Elohim he, right? This is the finger of God. There's a nitty-gritty question as to what the preposition he is referring to because he is feminine and it's hard to know what the antecedent is, right? It's not the kinim. That would have been it's by Elohim heim. Some people mm -hmm. say that the unnamed um, uh, antecedent is the, the maka, the plague, right? The, the word makah doesn't appear, but the plague, which is a feminine word, is the, is the feminine thing that he is referring to, that this is the finger of God. And the vav after that is 
Avav Ha. I always forget the name of this one. No, the opposite. Huh? The 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 vav the vav that are that becomes a um, a butter nevertheless like but nevertheless despite the fact that his own people came to him and said hey there's a real god here and we're in trouble his heart uh, remained or strengthened again or hardened again he did not listen to them to them is is the heart to mim kasher diber adonai. I want to show you what um, what Uncle says on this, which is interesting. Let me just open it on the screen too, in case anyone doesn't have it. Uh, so this is what Uncle says. Uh, can someone go to that laptop and just move the bar all the way to the bottom? So um, here's the Uncle S where the cursor is. Uh, the Harash in Aramaic and in Hebrew is like a soothsayer, like magician. The soothsayer said, Haro, Ha Mecha Min Kadam Aranai. So, Uncleus basically kind of deals with that, the he in the Hebrew verse, and adds in the Aramaic word, Macha, which is similar to the Hebrew word, Maka. This plague, Min Kadam Aranai, is, uh, comes from God. Which means he doesn't translate the word finger. It's interesting. He, like he's 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 paraphrasing. Most of the time, Uncle is translates. He's paraphrasing here. Why he's paraphrasing here? I don't know. There's, there is an Aramaic word for finger, uh, and the rest of the verse is as you'd expect. His heart became strong. Below Kabel, it didn't receive, didn't listen. Minhun from them, Kamad as God had said. Okay. Um, questions, comments on the verse before we uh, uh, see what Rashi says. Yes, Marshall. No, I know how to use this. Robert Alter has an interesting way of translating it. Okay. Uh, and the soothsayer said to Pharaoh, quote, God's finger it is, exclamation point. What follows that? And Pharaoh's heart toughened, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken. Right. He, he, he's, he's emphasizing the fact that the, preposite, the pronoun happens after the phrase. It's by Elohim, he, God's finger, it is. It certainly is good. Norm? Two things. One is the presence of Elohim and Alehim in the same verse means that it could be, yes, he didn't listen to them. That's, he, he didn't hear them. Um, but it also could mean he didn't hear God. Um, he shut out the Holy One. Um, and uh, also, it's really significant to me that this here we have a, an explicit use of the idea that the plague was a finger of God, which ties directly into a page of the Haggadah where yes. we compare, where we multiply plagues. Yeah. And the, re, the basis is that the ten plagues were the finger of God, and then at the Red Sea, it's the whole hand of God, so we multiply over and over again. Great. Thank you for that. Rick? Yes, hi. Um, me, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was wondering if the etzba was the he. Um, it's etzbaot is the plural, right? Fingers? Etzbaot is the plural, but I think the etzba itself is a masculine uh, noun, I think. Oh, because then the he would go to the finger. Um, and then um, great about what Norm said about Alehem and Elohim. So who's the Alehem? If it's not God, did he not listen to Aaron and Moses, or did he not listen to the Khartoumim? I think it's the latter in this case, 
but he doesn't listen to anybody. So anyway. Um, yeah, at spas is definitely a feminine noun. Huh. Yeah. My, my, my recollection is that <laughs> if it's parts of the body that are in plural, that it's feminine, but it's like Roche is only one, so it's masculine. That's my recollection. Uh -huh. I definitely wrong. know that to be the case when it comes to things that there are two of. But there are five fingers on hand. Maybe it's, I, it's anything that's plural. It could be. I just, I just, I just, I didn't remember. There are some Hebrew nouns whose singular looks masculine and whose feminine looks, whose plural looks feminine, and they're feminine. And there's some that whose singular looks masculine and whose plural looks feminine, or that are masculine. It's very in, in the dictionary. There's a nun after the, the word. Yeah. I can't remember. That means so masculine, feminine. doesn't it? No, yeah. Nikeva. Nun means Nikeva, which is feminine. Nikeva, yeah, okay. Rabbi, also on he, just as a Torah reader, I've heard people, not in this congregation, I've heard it pronounced heave. And um, I just wanted to underline that the biblical vav there, you pronounce it like a yud if it's a chirik underneath. There's very, 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 very little non-phonetic um, aspects to Hebrew reading. This is one of the places, right? It's pronounced he, not heave. I see how... Uh, In IsraelHebrew.com, the word for Edzba is a feminine noun. Yeah. That's what I wanted. That it's feminine? Yep. Okay. Uh, Barry and then Rebecca and then Larry? So uh, I need some help here. In in the, the Torah, it's it's vechazach uh, lev paro, which my translation is uh, his heart remained hardened, like it, it already it, it, he didn't do this. It, it remained hardened. In Onkelos, the word is veitakef liba. Uh, does that imply that uh, he hardened his heart? No, it's the same form. It's just the root is takaf. Which means to be to a, to a, either to attack or to be strong, but it's the same form of the verb in, in Hebrew and in Aramaic. Uh, a lot of hands. Rebecca, Larry, Marshall. I was just thinking about why why does it use the word etzba? Why finger? Why do they point to that? And maybe it's a foreshadowing that there are going to be ten plagues, ten fingers. So. Very nice. A foreshadowing is almost of their premonition that we're going to, each, each one of these is a finger. Hmm. I never thought about that. Uh, Larry? I just want to point out that the term used here is Elohim and not the, not the Tetragrammaton Adonai or anything else. So indicating that the, the magicians were saying that this is the finger of like some, Ava, god. some god. Yeah, yeah. Not, so they didn't know God. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't say this is the finger of the of the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Exactly. The Marshall. Uh, again, Alter, um, as opposed to using the word hardened for Yechazak, he translates it as uh, toughened. Toughened. Okay. Um, I'm seeing, however, Fox translates the verse. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of a god. So he, ever Fox agrees with you, uh, Larry, that the use of Elohim here is not is not, is not a nothing. The finger of a god. Um, does, uh, Did you see the footnote that he wrote about the finger of a god? That it's God's direct intervention in human affairs. The only other occurrence of that expression is in Exodus. 
3118. And in the text that retells the story, and in the later case, it refers to the divine writing on the two tablets of testimony. Right. So Etzba Elohim, the other place that appears in the Torah, has to do with Luchot, right? How, how we got the, 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 uh, the two tablets. Um, Larry, did Arya Kaplan translate this interestingly? Um, not in terms of the God part, but he says, um, it is the finger, and he has a note on this, of God, said the master symbolist to, to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh remained obstinate and would not listen, just as God had predicted. His note is... Etzba Louder, please. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Shall I read the translation again? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, it is the finger of God, said the master symbolist to, Mo, to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh remained obstinate and would not listen, just as God had predicted. The note on Etzba is, Etzba in Hebrew, in ancient Egyptian, the word Etzba, or Tseba, also denotes finger, but it also denotes retribution. Hmm. The Egyptian occultists may have been also saying it is God's retribution. Hmm. Look at this translation, um, the, uh, the one from 1963, really interesting. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is indeed an act of higher powers, but not of the eternal. Right. Even more agrees with you, Larry. Right. I, he's not willing to allow the Egyptians to actually refer to Hashem and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to most Aaron as as the eternal had said. Um, OK, let's see what Rashi says on uh, on Etzba Elohim. Uh, Mar- who is who is reading? I was. All right. Renee. Etzba Elohim who? Makazo Eno Aliadei. So just translate that one. Okay, so it's a finger of God that the sorcerers said uh, that the plague is not from witchcraft but from the omnipresence. Good. Right? I think Rashi is doing two things in this commentary. He's resolving a grammatical question and he's resolving a content question. Anybody want to weigh in on that? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I think it takes care of the grammatical question here that talk about that the that the he is the makah. Okay. Um and the second part was uh, that was the grammatical. Would the other one is that that this is that it's coming from a god, but not the. It's it's interesting because he said he's saying it's the omnipresent God. So he's 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 taking Makom as if it's a, if it was Adonai and not as Elohim. Yeah. It's interesting. I think what Raj is doing is he's describing in our language what he was he's imagining that the magicians were trying to say to um, to Pharaoh, but he's speaking to us, Rashi. So he's just using hamakom because we know what that word means. Um, I think the content what Rashi is saying is right. Like, what what was what were these people really communicating to Pharaoh? They were communicating to Pharaoh that you know there have been three of these. We've tried. This is not just another powerful sorcerer, right? This, the, the, this is not that, that word kishuf, 
Kaf Shefin, you may know that word from Mechashefa, which is which? Mechashefa Lo Tichaya, the shortest verse in the Torah, I think. No, no. Well, it depends on if you read Lo Tirzach and all those other verses, but three word verse, Mechashefa Lo Tichaya. What's that? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. <laughs> yeah, but what's the original Greek? How many words? Uvene Dan Chushim is the shortest. In letters? Or words? Oh, because Uvene Dan is a, is a hyphen? Rick, you, you, you emerged from nowhere, and now we can't hear you. The, uh, I, I, I have it. I muted myself. And, and the Chushim, Chushim doesn't have the Vav. So it's Uvene Dan Chushim is the shortest sentence, besides the Ten Commandments. Letters, sir. Letters, got it. Okay. Um, anyway. So Safim so, here meaning, I think what Rashi is, is having them say that that we, we are in a different realm than we thought. If it was our p- power over Kishufim magic versus another nation's power, we could hold our own. This is not happening on this realm. It's happening on that realm. Something up there. We're out of our league, boss. Right? And it's the first time that we're seeing Yeush, a, a sense of giving up and hopelessness amongst um, the courtiers up until now, they seem to be up for the battle of, you know, you know, re- ready to present themselves as best as possible. Barbara. Why is it pronounced the finger of God when it should be a finger of God? There is no hay in front of it. Um, okay. So in the, in Smichut, where you have two nouns that are modifying one another, if the second of the words is a proper noun. There's, oh, it's a word pair. Okay, the whole okay. thing is a de- is is definite, right? So it's a word if pair. I say if it was etzba Barbara, right? I wouldn't have to say ha etzba. It would just be it, it, it's the second word in smichud that would get the hey, and since you don't need a hey in front of a proper well, name, that's yeah. why you could read this as a or the. Yeah. I got it. I got it. Thank um, you. Elohim could be indefinite. Correct. Elohim could be indefinite. The question is, is it, is the finger indefinite? Because if you're trying to... If one is, then the other. So not necessarily. It could be the finger of a god. It could be a finger of a god. No, he's saying he, they can't hear you. No. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't hear your apology. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Um, let's finish. Yeah, Marshall. Sorry. Uh, I just want to microphone. Uh, just the full. You know, the, what Rashi is based on is comes out of Shemot Rabbah, which is really quite beautiful, which says Kevan Shirahu Achartumim Shol Yuchlula Hotzi. Hakinim, that once the, the magicians saw that they could not get rid of the lice, Miyad Hikiru Shahayu Hamasim Maase Elohim, they immediately saw that this was the work of God. This is not the work of uh, demons, I guess. And they no longer thought or never suspected or never thought to compare themselves to Moses to get rid of the 
uh, these plagues. Mm -hmm. What was the source? Midrash Rabbah. Barbara, is your hand up again or, or still? Okay. Um, let's finish off the Rashi. This is going to be the exact same comment that Rashi said on verse, uh, at the end of verse 10, okay? Or 11, excuse me. So, because the end of our verse is, right, and uh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he didn't listen to them, kasher dibradonai, as God had said. The question on that is? Kasher dibradonai velo yishma elo alechem Pharaoh. Before you read, Renee, so on the phrase kasher dibradonai, as God had said, one could ask the question, when? Like, in, in when did God say that? In the same way we asked that question before. And the answer is just quoting four words from a verse. Uh, and the verse is chapter 7, verse 4. And the verse is, uh, So everyone can go back again, look at the beginning of chapter 7, because you all have the whole book of Shemot in front of you. And this is kind of the beginning of this exchange. God says to Moses and Aaron, he's not going to listen, but I'm going to place my hand on Egypt, and eventually it's going to happen. So every time, I don't, Rashi is not going to say this every single time, but as we go through the plagues, and after each plague, we have the Torah saying that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and didn't listen to them, we're sometimes going to have a say, Kasher as God said, and Rashi is going to keep reminding us, not that God just said it right now, but that God predicted the intransigence and the recalcitrance. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.